Welcome to episode number 12 of The Funding Coach. My name is Don Gooding, and I'm the founder of Four Colors of Money for Entrepreneurs, a blog, podcast, training videos, and other resources all designed to help you figure out what's the right mix of bootstrapping, grants, loans, and equity, and especially figure out what you should be doing now to get the right color of money for you. Here on The Funding Coach, I help real businesses with real funding problems so that you can figure out how to start and grow your business. In this episode, I want to follow on to one of the important points that came out of the rather extensive interview with Joe Walsh of Green Clean Maine. And this is the conflict that sometimes happens between, on the one hand, trying to make sure that your entrepreneurial dream actually happens, and then on the other hand, some of the things that come along with funding that are not quite so attractive? And how do you sort through dream versus funding strings attached, if you will? So to begin with, I want to unpack what some entrepreneurs think of as their entrepreneurial dream, because it is different for different entrepreneurs, of course. So a couple categories of what comprises the entrepreneurial dream. One of them is trying to have more impact. Both Margot Walsh and Joe Walsh, uh, who are not related, by the way, uh, have businesses that create impact on their customers. In the case of Maine Works, Margot Walsh's company, they're giving good jobs for people either coming out of prisons or coming out of opioid addiction programs. In the case of Joe Walsh and Green Clean Maine, it is decreasing the environmental impact on cleaning products as well as something he's found out about along the way, having a great positive impact on his employees by giving them great opportunities. So part of fulfilling the dream in an impact business is increasing that over a larger geography often. Also, there are some financial metrics of the dream. Uh, You heard Joe Walsh talk about how he wanted initially to be a $1 million in revenue company, and now he shifted his goal higher to trying to achieve $5 million in revenue from his services business. Now, that may seem to be a bit of an abstract goal, but there are good things that are associated with increasing your company size. And so let me just run through a couple of those. Uh, first of all, sometimes it can be more fun to have a larger company. Joe talked about how he looked forward to being able to have a larger, high-performance team that he was working with. And that's something that can be supported with a larger company. Also, his current employees would have more career opportunities and thus be an even more attractive place uh, for them to work. In some businesses, having scale gives you an opportunity to do more marketing and sales things that you haven't been able to do in the past because you just weren't big enough. As one example, uh, I saw a recent thread about how 
Facebook ads, which have become a huge part of online marketing, in fact, of marketing as a whole, they really have more effectiveness if you're doing lots of them. That is to say, you're spending lots more money on them rather than doing just a little bit at a time. And another part of having more fun with a larger company is if you really love product creation, having a larger company allows you to sell more products and create more products in your product line. So that's part of what comes with scale, fun of being in a larger company. Then, of course, on the financial side, you can have more current income. You may have heard Joe Walsh say that he knows that at a $5 million scale, that his company can start to generate considerably more owner draw. And in general, this process of creating more bottom line profit for the owners comes out of the fact that overhead, often called uh, general and administrative in accounting reports, tends to decrease as a percentage of revenue with revenue size up to a point, and it depends on the business. But if you get to that certain scale, sometimes that means more money will be dropping to the bottom line as opposed to going out to rent or lawyers or insurance and that kind of thing. And then part of the dream also on the financial side can be accumulating a certain degree of wealth. And of course, it's not a surprise that if you've got a bigger company, that can lead to more wealth, although there are important subtleties to understand when you're taking in equity investors. But in general, a lot of wealth from doing a startup comes from the acquisition of your company at some point down the road. And what you may not know is that in many industries, the big players who are looking at doing acquisitions in your industry will only consider companies that have achieved a minimum scale. For example, one of the companies that I've invested in knows that in her particular industry, she's got to be at least $5 million in revenue run rate before any of the potential acquirers will even start talking to her. What's also true is that if your company is being acquired, the multiple that an acquiring company will pay, that is to say, they may say, uh, we want to pay three times revenue, or maybe it's two times revenue for your company. Or on the other hand, they're looking at your cash flow, your operating cash flow, also known as EBITDA, earnings before interest taxes depreciation and amortization. Anyways, that multiple tends to go up if you are achieving higher growth, either on the top line or on the bottom line. And often you can increase that only through a funding or a series of funding events that help you accelerate your company's development. Those are some of the components of the entrepreneurial dream that a bunch of you are trying to achieve. And it's also true that in many cases, the lack of funding is one of the big barriers for you to be able to achieve that dream. So why is that the case? I have done a blog post called How Growth Consumes Cash, and I'll include a link to that in the show notes. But in general, it can include things such as the startup expense of going into a new geography. So, for example, if Mainworks wants to expand from 
Portland, Maine to Portsmouth, New Hampshire. There will be ongoing costs of hiring people, getting space, etc. before the revenue starts. Very typical. Another issue that funding can help solve is the rate of growth that you can achieve in a new geography. And this is one of the points that Joe Walsh brought up in his thinking about expansion, that on the one hand, if he started from scratch in a new territory at his regular growth rate of 15 to 20% a year, it takes a very long time to get scale, whereas if he can do an acquisition, he can get there much faster, but he needs funding in order to be able to execute on that. Then there are customer acquisition costs in some kinds of businesses. For example, Rockstep Solutions trying to sell their software as a service to large pharmaceutical corporations. It's a long, long sales cycle, and he's got to be able to pay marketing and salespeople during that process in order to grow into this marketplace, the corporate pharmaceutical marketplace, and fulfill his version of the entrepreneurial dream. Another part of growing into the larger size and fulfilling your dream is getting senior management. There's often a chicken and egg situation that you know you need additional people in order to be able to grow, but you don't have the money to pay them initially to then generate that extra revenue. So sometimes funding can be a solution to that barrier to growth. In other businesses, there are big product development costs that can sometimes go on for many years. The healthcare and medical device arena is an area where that's very true. And then there are other kinds of businesses where there's what I call lumpy expansion. Either you need to acquire space and really dramatically increase the amount of space, say, for a retail or a restaurant operation, and that raises your break-even cost, which often will lead to at least a few months where you are losing cash while you grow into the new space. And then there are other cases, think of BFD systems, where he's got to spend six figures in his case to buy specialty equipment to improve his efficiency and to allow him to grow. This episode of The Funding Coach is sponsored by Branding Compass. Now, you probably know that building a brand is important, but you don't have tens of thousands of dollars to pay a branding company. That's why the interactive online tool Branding Compass was created for companies just like yours. It's like working with an award-winning branding firm, but for a fraction of the price. Branding Compass walks you through the questions that a branding firm would typically ask, and if you need some help along the way with some of those questions, well, Branding Compass includes a course to help you build a stronger brand. The system provides automated expert advice so you get really useful output from the process, including recommendations for a color palette, typefaces and imagery, as well as a unique value proposition, and even an ideal customer profile. And that's just for the basic version of Branding Compass. If you need more help, you can get it. I was a beta customer for Branding Compass, and I found it extremely useful even back at that beta stage. You can see my customer testimonial at brandingcompass.com. 
And while you're there, sign up for the Branding Compass and use the coupon code THEFUNDINGCOACH, all one word, all lowercase, to save $10 on the right licensing option for you. So if you want to fulfill your entrepreneurial dream and access to funding is one of the huge barriers, it would seem like there's a no-brainer to go out and get that funding, right? Well, of course, there is no free lunch, as economists like to say. And Joe Walsh was talking about some of his concerns in terms of potential equity funding. So I think it's worthwhile to do just a quick review of some of the strings attached both to debt and equity funding, because we're talking about a risk-reward analysis, and you have to think clearly about both. On the debt side, it's quite typical that you as an entrepreneur will be providing personal guarantees to any business loan, despite the fact that your business may even be profitable. So that means if things go wrong, you could lose your house, you could lose your retirement nest egg. And in the case of 1820, you may recall that that was an issue, that risk of the personal guarantees for Amanda O'Brien's co-founder, Pete. In addition, with substantial business debt, like a term loan that goes on for five years, there are usually covenants. Uh, These are the strings attached to the loan that will impact the way that you're able to manage your business. So there are things like having to have a particular debt service cover ratio. That's looking at the total cash flow of your business as it relates to the monthly loan repayment. You have to keep it above a certain level or else you're going to be violating that covenant, which is not a good thing. Often there's a current ratio, which is the ratio of your assets like accounts receivable as opposed to your current liabilities like your accounts payable, and you have to stay above a particular current ratio, which basically is saying you have the assets that you can turn into cash to pay off your short-term liabilities, uh, because if you don't stay within uh, or above that targeted ratio, then that makes it much harder for the bank to get repaid their loan. And then there are other things like you have to follow gap accounting rules. So These uh, covenants that come along with debt will have some impact on your ability to operate your business. It can restrict your operating freedom, you know, restrict you in terms of the choices that you make in terms of things like hiring people now versus later or getting a piece of equipment now versus later spending money on marketing now versus later uh, because you have to stay within these covenants. In addition, it also raises the risks of what are typical or normal cash flow fluctuations. Plenty of businesses, you know, customers may be slow to pay or customers may have a slow month while they're not coming in your door. And that affects your business, which in turn can violate the covenants and send you into bad place. So that's one of the risks of taking on a substantial amount of debt. On the equity side of things, Joe Walsh was particularly focused on this loss of control, and 
As I said in the interview, this is a very common concern of entrepreneurs, especially those who have been operating a business for a while. And that control includes needing to report to a board of directors and being answerable to them if things are not going well or you don't do what you said you were going to do a month or two or three ago. So for many entrepreneurs, the autonomy is an important part of the pleasure of being an entrepreneur, and they don't necessarily want to have to give that up. So that's one of the issues. Another issue is that fundraising, equity fundraising, is extremely time-consuming, and it's generally not very fun. It typically takes around six months, uh, but that can extend over a longer period of time. Uh, Rockstep Solutions is experiencing that extended fundraising time period, and that's a risk because that takes you away from focusing on your business and things can go awry if your other senior management team isn't capable of taking care of the inevitable bumps in the road. Another really important issue is that bad investors can actually be worse in some cases than no money at all. I was fortunate to work with some of the best venture capitalists in the world. Uh, My mentor, Jim Swartz, is an amazing human being, and entrepreneurs loved having him as a mentor to them and on their board of directors. But it's true that there are other venture capitalists who <laughs> I, I'm just going to they're, they're kind of assholes and they can give bad advice. They can force you into an early exit. There's a company in Maine I know of where one of their big investors, they were not only obnoxious at every single board meeting, but because of the timing of their fund uh, from which uh, the funds were taken to invest in her company, that this venture capitalist pushed for selling the company much sooner than everybody else around the table. That's just one of the examples of how things can go awry when you have what I'll just call bad investors. On the flip side of that, if things go wrong in your company, things aren't going as well as the investors would like, uh, they often do have the capability of firing you. And I'm friends with uh, a founder of a very substantial company who ended up getting fired by his board of directors, by his investors. Uh, And of course, that was really hard to take. Ultimately, the company's doing okay without him. But it's very hard, not only in the ego, but just in terms of your ability to fulfill your entrepreneurial dream. And finally, there is a risk when you bring on substantial investors and your business model says, I'm going to be using lots of capital to ultimately build a very large company, that if things don't go well, you may find yourself in a situation where you have what's called a down round, where the price per share that you're selling to new investors who you desperately need is substantially below the price that earlier investors paid. And that usually leads to a substantial dilution of your ownership. So maybe you owned 
you know, 45% beforehand, and then suddenly you own 9% after a down round. And that can be very discouraging because you've been working hard to try to make the, the company fulfill your dream. And yet here you are, you just don't own uh, that big slice of the pie anymore. So in some, there are risks associated both with substantial debt financing and with equity funding. So how do you think about this trade-off between fulfilling your entrepreneurial dream on the one hand and the risks associated with funding on the other hand? Unfortunately, there is no magic bullet here. There's no magic answer. You just have to think clearly about both the risks and the rewards in your specific situation. It's really important to be as specific as possible because these things vary considerably. On the funding side, there are good and bad debt terms. There are good and bad equity terms, and there are good and bad investors and bankers. So you have to pay attention to that, understand that there are these variations, and assess the risk of the bad things happening in your specific situation. On the flip side of that, also your thought of what your entrepreneurial dream is and how important that is to you is highly personal. And so you need to try to be honest with yourself and assess just how important those are. As with a lot of entrepreneurial decisions, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty in both the positives and the negatives, but you're used to dealing with that. So just use that ever-developing entrepreneurial sense of judgment and trust that judgment after you've done the clear thinking about the risks and rewards of funding versus fulfilling your dream. But remember that things will change, and down the road, you may do a funding pivot yourself. You may say, okay, I'm not going to do the funding today, but another two years or four years or six months even, you may say, you know what, I'm going to change my mind. And that's okay, because the world changes. Uh, that's why I've talked about the funding pivot, because those kind of decisions of going from bootstrapping to funding is definitely something that can change down the road. However, it's important to note that while you can go from no funding to funding, it's much harder to do the reverse. If you take on substantial amounts of equity or a substantial amount of long-term debt, that is a fork in the road, uh, and you can't really reverse that decision. So just make sure that if you're at that fork in the road, you know that you want to fulfill your entrepreneurial dream, and you know that funding is key to making all of that happen. Just make sure you're thinking clearly before you take that fork. And that'll wrap up this episode of The Funding Coach. I'd love to hear what you think about today's episode. What kind of conflicts are you facing between trying to fulfill your dream and the uh, strings that come along with funding? Please head on over to the podcast show notes for Season 1, Episode 12 
at fourcolorsofmoney.com, where you can also see the links and resources that I've talked about in this episode, and you can let our community know what you think. And if you haven't done it already, please head on over to iTunes or your favorite source of podcasts like Google Play, subscribe to The Funding Coach, and then leave us a rating and a review. It really, really helps. Really. And if you think you should be on The Funding Coach to get help with your funding challenge, please drop me an email at dawn.gooding at fourcolorsofmoney.com. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and I really do look forward to chatting with you again soon here on The Funding Coach. Really.